This week, I was away with my family at, at pastor's school. Tuscarora is an inn and conference center just on the other side of the Delaware River in Pennsylvania that is associated with the Lutheran Brethren, our denomination. And for decades now, they've opened up the third week of August as a time for pastors, pastors' wives, and their families to have a complimentary week to get away, recharge, fellowship, and to have an opportunity for some continuing education. This year, Nathaniel Zabodi and his wife Carrie, LB missionaries to Chad, Africa, were the instructors, and, and they led us through the art of telling stories. Now, this may seem fairly basic. We all tell stories all the time, right? And yet, to tell a story well, to make sure that the proper message is communicated, takes practice. It's a bit, it's a bit of an art. One of the things that we learned pretty early on this past week was that a story looks somewhat like a cliff. The beginning of the story slopes upwards and, and keeps moving that way until you reach the climax. The climax. The most important part of the story. And then, and then it falls away like a cliff and the rest of the tale just sort of falls into place. Today we reach the climax of the story of Joseph. It's been a long time coming. This is the 11th sermon in this series. And we're not done. There's a little left after this. But this is the climax. Everything has been building towards today. Last week, we saw that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and they were terrified. For as we talked about, they stood in the presence of the one whom they had wronged and the one who could bring justice. Joseph could have wiped them from the face of the earth. And instead, as we will see in the opening of our text this morning, he says, come close to me. Last week, we focused on how that's how God approaches us as well. He is the one that we have wronged, and he is the one that has the power to bring the justice upon us that we have deserved. And yet, instead of heaping justice and punishment upon us, he calls us close to him, and he embraces us with his love and mercy, for the justice has already been brought against the sinless one upon Jesus. Today our text tells us that God's working through the life of Joseph was God's providential hand over the people of Israel. Now, we're not going to read all of chapter 45 and 46, but if we did, we would see that when the family of Jacob, who was also known as Israel, entered Egypt, they numbered 70 in all. If you include the family of Joseph, which I think it's important to do, 70 people, that's it. And over hundreds of years, they would prosper in Egypt. They would spend a large portion of that time in slavery. But that doesn't mean they weren't prospering. And so hundreds of years later, it would be a nation that, through Moses, God would lead out of Egypt and into the desert. In fact, when Moses comes down from the mountain, you know, Mount Sinai, he's got his tablets of the law, the, 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 stone, the, the law of God written in stone tablets. He comes down to 600,000 fighting men along with their women and children. Seventy people into a nation. The time in Egypt was not easy, and they were groaning for their release from slavery for much of it. But despite their groaning and their pain and their frustration and their sorrow, God was with them, growing them into the nation that he would one day free and bring into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And though Joseph and the brothers may not have realized it, there in that room, an important piece of the story takes place. Joseph is reconciled to his brothers, 
And then he lays out God's providence, how God had been moving, directing, and how despite the sinfulness of those involved, God has been at work in their story from the beginning. We read most of the text last week, but we're going to read it again this morning. We're in Genesis chapter 45. We'll be reading verses 4 to 13. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn there. And if you do not, the words will be on the screen behind me, and I just encourage you to follow along. We read the word of the Lord, Genesis 45, verses 4 to 13. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me a lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I'll provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so my brother Benjamin, that is, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So anyone that has, like, known me for a, a bit of time knows that I am a bit of a whiner. After talking with some friends this past week, I've decided to rebrand my, my whining as lamenting. It, it, it just sounds a bit more regal, you know, a bit, a bit more Old Testament, and, and maybe just a bit more acceptable. I, I have no problem letting you know if I'm, I'm struggling with something. I'll, I'll lament when I'm too hot, when I'm out roasting in the humidity of a Jersey summer, or, or any summer for, for that matter. And, and I'll lament when I'm too cold, when I'm out scraping the windshield of ice or shoveling the walk for the third time that day or the first time that day. I'm not picky. I'll, I'll lament it all. I like lamenting. It's, it's cathartic. It lets me express myself. And, and I hope to build camaraderie with others that are struggling with whatever it is that I'm struggling with, what, whatever it is that is making me uncomfortable and, and feels unfair. And I get it. I get it. Whining, lamenting can be annoying. I know that. And I apologize if my whining is annoying. But you know what else can be annoying? When I'm not allowed to whine. (laughs) I have a few people in my life, and I love them dearly, but I have a few people in my life that just feel this deep-seated need to point out the good in whatever it is that I'm lamenting. We've all got that person in our lives, the the eternal optimist, the the king or queen of of silver linings. I'm I'm lamenting being stuck in traffic, and I get the response, at least you had more time to talk to the people you were traveling with. 
maybe you needed to have some of those conversations. I'm frustrated that I'm running late and I hear, maybe God is just teaching you patience. I'm whining about how someone treated me, expressing my frustration with their words and actions, and my champion of silver linings ponders, I wonder what they are going through in life. I doubt they meant to be that mean to you. There was probably something else taking place there on a deeper level. And you know, as much as it drives me crazy, and if you're a silver linings person in my life, you're invited to tune this next sentence out, but as much as it drives me crazy, I, have, I just have to wonder if they might be right. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that the silver lining conclusion that they come to each time is correct. But I think that they are heading in the right direction. I'm standing there screaming into the storm in my frustration, and, and they are willing to recognize that there is a bigger hand behind the storm than I may originally want to recognize. I'm quick to point out the sinfulness of man as the cause of my frustration, while those in the team of silver linings are focused on the one who created the winds and the waves and the one who sends the storm. Now, I, I love watching a good storm myself. Sitting inside with my cup of coffee and seeing the rain pelt the windows, the lightning lighting up the room and feeling as much, or, and feeling as much as hearing the boom of the thunder as it cracks across the sky. But, but I'm enjoying all of that from the safety and comfort of my home, right? I'm not caught out in the rain and the wind and the danger. I'm not physically in the storm. I'm resting in the comfort of my couch. I'm a cup of coffee. I'm just watching it. We don't have that luxury in the storms of life, do we? No, we often experience the storms of life from a place of vulnerability. We are often unprepared for how fierce the storm is going to be. We, we didn't get the weather report in time. We didn't know this pup was, was bearing down on us, and then we are caught in a life circumstance that, that has us spinning and it reminds us of how vulnerable and exposed we are. And in those times, we yell at the storm. We lament the sinfulness that left us in this broken world full of hurt and pain. And, and we even wail and flail at the one who had the power to stop it, to protect us, to keep us from the hard road and the uncertainty that we are caught up in. Like David in Psalm 13, we cry, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thought and day after day have sorrow in my heart? I read that psalm more than once while my wife Karen was carrying our little girl Ava in her womb. It was excruciating to know that I would never hold my daughter or hear her call me dad or make her laugh or put a barrette in her hair. COVID, its refusal to leave, the, the division it has sown in not just the country or the world, but the church has been devastating. We sit helpless as we watch sick people die and, and healthy people argue over science and opinion. Nobody is, is fully satisfied and safety feels elusive as, as fear reigns. The social and mental effect of this sickness and the way we have handled it will not soon pass away, and I'm left wondering why. Why is this happening? Why are we responding in the ways that we are? And where do we go from here? I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what storms are raging 
on your horizon or what storms you have weathered or what storms you are going through right now. But as I recognize the reality of the storm, I take comfort in the words of Joseph. Let's read his words again in Genesis 45. We'll read 5 to 11. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it is not you who sent me here but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord to his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph said. says, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Now Joseph is in real danger of being a champion of silver linings. But where, for many, the silver linings are things that we hope are true, for Joseph, the truth was revealed to him. This is how God was at work in his life, but not just his life, the life of his brothers and his father and all those who were a part of the promise that God made to Abraham all those years ago, the promise that God would be their God and that they would be his people. God is not unaware of your circumstances. He is not oblivious to the storm that you are going through, and he is powerful enough to bless you and others through the storm in your life. Some of us are like Joseph, and the storms of life come upon us. He did not earn or deserve the time he spent in slavery and prison in Egypt. Yeah, he was an annoying brat of a brother. And that's just because he was a sinner like the rest of us. But he did not deserve years of slavery and prison. But Joseph was able to recognize that God was at work in his life through that time, preparing him and putting him in a place that he might care for others. Now, I don't know what, what story God is bringing you through, and, and I can't even promise that you'll survive it. But what Scripture promises is that God has not forgotten you, and that he is always for you, and that he will continue to use you in his mission to care for his sheep, God will use the circumstances that have come upon you for his purposes and to his glory. And I pray that you and that I will be able to find comfort in that truth and that promise. And while some of us are like Joseph, others of us are like the brothers, right? The storms that we are going through are because of our own wrongdoing, our own sinfulness, and our own poor decision-making. The brothers were in a storm because of the way that they treated Joseph. They had dealt with with guilt and shame and fear, they, they jumped at shadows and constantly imagined the hand of God moving against them because of the evil that they had done with their hands, because of the horrible thing that they had done to Joseph. As we talked about last week, they knew that they deserved punishment. And we know that we deserve punishment for the evil things that we have done. So how wonderful it was for the brothers to hear Joseph lay out all of what God had done. How comforting for them to know that their sins, though they had caused immense hurt to Joseph, 
and their father and themselves and many others had not thwarted the plan of God, but had actually been used to bring it about, to preserve life, as we read in verse 5, and to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors, as we read in verse 7. The sin of the brothers could not overcome God's plan for them, and neither can yours. For God's plans are greater than our sins. For through his plan, our sin was atoned for. For it was his plan that sent us Jesus, the one and only Son of God. Jesus, the one who lived a pure and sinless life. But because of his love and obedience to God, and because of his love for us, he took all of our sin to the cross, and there he paid for it all. For there he became sin for us, became the sin that we have done, and all the sin that we will ever do, and there he died for it. And his death paid the price that none of us had any hope of paying. But three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And so when we believe in him, when we acknowledge our need for his death on the cross and believe that he is who he says he is and that he did what he said he did, then there are, we are no longer covered in the rags of our sins but are given the righteousness of Christ. When we rest in the faith that God has given us, we are brought back into relationship with God and we are reconciled with him. This is his plan. This is what he wants and desires for all of us. And there is no sin that overpowers God's plan. His forgiveness is free to all. We can't be sinful enough to break God's plan. This is what the brothers found out. And it's just as true for them as it is for us. No matter what you have done, God has not stopped loving you. No matter how fierce the storm of your sin rages around you, God is still longing to forgive you, to hold you, to draw near to you, to cover you in his grace and mercy. God is longing for you to feel the release and the blessings of his forgiveness. As I was working through this text this week, I couldn't help but think of Jacob. He was convinced that his son was dead, and, and he had lost any hope of ever being able to see him again. For what can you do with the dead but mourn them? The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, as Katie read for us earlier today, that, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Like Jacob, we may sit there and believe that there is no hope for the dead, and if that is where you are today, let me encourage you with the truth of a God who has defeated death. For if we continue reading in Ephesians 2, we'll find a different, a continuation to the story. But I would like to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1-9 where we read, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. This is Paul writing. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God who raises the dead. Though you are dead in your trespasses and sins, God raises the dead. I pray that truth washes over you in the way that it has washed over me this week. In the way that I imagine it washed over Jacob when he realized the truth that his son was alive, that his son was back from the grave. God has plans for you. And that plan will contain hardship and frustration. It will hold pain and suffering. 
but God will not abandon you to it. And though you are dead in your sin, it is he who brings you back to life through faith in Christ Jesus. And it is God who will use you in spite of your hardships and often because of them. And it is God who will bless you and draw you closer to him in spite of your hardships and often because of them. God's plan was at work throughout the life of Joseph. And as Joseph tells his brothers and us in our text this morning, that plan was to provide for them and to keep them safe. It can be hard for us to reconcile the reality that there is safety in the land of our suffering. Egypt would not be easy for the Israelites, and God knew that, but it was a place that he would provide for them. It was a place that he would build them up, and ultimately a place that he would call them out of. And just as God's plan was at work for Joseph and his family, God's plan is at work in your life as well. He will provide for you during the storm. He will cry with you and suffer alongside you. It is often said that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And I don't think that's true. What is true is that God will never give us more than he can handle. So as we go through times of struggling, let us rely on him and his strength. Let us lean on him for the peace that we long for and know that as you suffer, God is drawing you closer to himself, deepening his relationship with you. We will all suffer and struggle in this life. And while that is scary, it comes with the most amazing silver lining we could possibly imagine. What a fantastic and loving, amazing, merciful, and faithful God we serve. Amen.